0: we're in colossians today still colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 uh at the top of the page it says 11 through 15 but it's actually 11 through 14 i need to change that colossians 2 11 through 14 four verses today and uh i've been i've been struggling with uh what all to to preach and to put out there so i just want to be able to follow the leading of the holy Spirit. I've put the, the study into this, I, you know, I've, I've looked at it, I've studied I, I've prayed, I've asked the Lord to give me understanding. And there was so much information uh, that what I decided to do was instead of trying to put all of these notes up on and trying to figure out which one's this and which one's that, uh, what I did was I just printed them all out for you, okay? So you have the handout. This is like five pages or so, uh, which is even a condensed version. But some good stuff in here. Lots of verses, um, lots of scripture, lo- lots of points uh, that, that I go through in there. Um, but I'm going to go through the scripture, and I'm just going to preach today, okay? you got the notes. I'll be touching on and highlighting some of the big points in the text, uh, the notes, and uh, we'll, we'll let the Lord work that way, see how that works. Uh, maybe I can uh, keep it under two hours, all right? So uh, let's pray once more, uh, and then I'm going to ask Titus if he'll come. He's going to read the text of scripture for us. Come on up here, I'll I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for what you're doing today. I thank you for what you're doing uh, in general. Lord, we know that uh, there's some question about our country right now and, and us as individuals right now, but we know that you have everything under control, and we know that nothing happens outside of your sovereign hand. And we pray, God, that we would see what you're doing and that we would be on board uh, with what you're doing and that it would be glorifying of you how we interact with the people around us and how we interact with your world. I pray, God, you would bless the the word today, that you would bless the sermon, that it would glorify you and it would show us and teach us uh, who you are and what you expect of us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, 11 through 14, starting here in Him. All right, let's all stand for the reading And the hearing of God's word. Hold on, here you go. Is this mic on here? In him also you are circumcised with circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Put Titus on the Preparatory. All right, so let's look at the text here, and let's see what God has for us. I'm not going to do a whole big, long introduction and, and reminder of what we've done. Uh, I, just briefly, we've looked at uh, the first part of Colossians, and uh, we uh, have learned that Paul is making an argument, and he is um, showing and answering the Gnostics who believed that there were many gods and that Jesus Christ was just another one of those gods, and that uh, he had some spiritual power, but he wasn't the Lord, Yahweh. And Paul makes the case throughout the first chapter and then into the second chapter of Jesus Christ being the one and only God, the creator of the world. And he basically tells the Gnostics and the, and the ascetics and, and those who were uh, coming with this idea that unless you bow down to Christ, unless you're found in Christ, there is no life, there is no other way. And so we talked last week about the, um, the gospel foundation and the faith that we must build upon. There's no other place to build, there's no other way to uh, receive Christ, there's no, I mean to, see, to receive life, that we must have Christ. And as we have received the gospel, so we are to receive Christ. I just want to point this one thing out that if you remember last week we talked about, that's the only place in Paul's letters where a person is the object of the receiving. And the reason we pointed that out was this, is that the the teaching of Paul, here the teaching that he is laying out is that we shouldn't just receive christ's word we shouldn't receive the message alone that it's just it's not just a a mental message that we comprehend with our minds but he is a person that we receive into our arms it is it is teaching this type of embrace of an actual person and then he follows that up with the lord kurios with the definite article the lord which is a a very rare, and that I think that may be the only place Paul uses that as well. Uh, in that sense, that Christ Jesus is to be received by an embrace, the person of Jesus, and marking him out as not a Lord or your Lord, but the Lord Yahweh. So, it's a very powerful statement of Paul that Jesus Christ is to be received personally by you, and he is God, the Creator. Okay so by that introduction, I want to move now into verses 11 through 14. And I want to talk to you about the way in which that Christ has set us aside, the way in which Christ has changed us and transformed us. If you remember last week, we talked about that part of the goal of the transformation that comes through the gospel is that we would be powerful that we would have a good defense you remember that that we would have uh the ability to stand against our foes that we would be able to have the ability to stand against the foes of the gospel and to give answers to those who would deny Christ we touched on 1 Peter three fifteen. it says always be prepared to give a defense of the gospel of the hope that you have within you in respect in peace but be ready to defend it uh, the text says in verse 8 see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and so on and the like the point here being made by Paul is that you are to be Uh, illuminated by Christ, filled by Christ, that you are to be um, uh, given a new awareness of reality as it actually is, that you wouldn't be susceptible to the attacks of the enemies and the lies of the enemies and the empty deceit and the the, the philosophical ramblings, as it were, of those who think that they know what they're talking about when they deny the scripture, when they deny Christ. And so we have this defense, we have this power, we have this, uh, we have this ability now through Christ to engage in warfare with the principalities and the rulers and the, the authorities. Well, Why? How does that work? And I want to bring a reality to you today that I didn't realize was as questioned as it is until I started doing some study and until I started listening to some uh, other teachers who I believe uh, do not understand this rightly and in many cases borderline heresy and false teaching. But nevertheless, we won't focus on that. What I want to talk to you today and the, the message here on your sheet is entitled Made Alive in Christ, the Circumcision of the Heart. So we'll talk about circumcision today, we'll talk about being made alive in Jesus Christ, we'll talk about what circumcision meant in the Old Testament and how that relates to us now in the New Testament, what was it all about and what does it mean when it, when it shifts from the circumcision of the flesh as practiced in the Old Testament as commanded by God to the circumcision of the heart that is a circumcision of Christ. What's, is there a correlation there? What, what, how does that tie together and Is this something new? So I want to touch on some of those ideas there. Well, we're going to look first at verses 11 through 12. And I got it pulled up here so we can do a little bit of work. And and I'm going to try to cut back a little bit on my highlight because I just want us to be able to move a little bit faster. I feel like I had not really been covering enough ground here lately. Maybe I have and maybe it's just my own... um, Uh, mind that's doing that to me but anyway i want to cover some ground but i want you to have something to hold on to as well so let's look at the text again and and we're going to uh, unpack verses 11 through 12 let's read those again okay so in uh, verse 11 in him also i think that's an important word also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of christ Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Okay, so he opens up here uh, with this with this um, this little phrase in him also. Okay, well as you remember last week, as we looked at verses uh, six through. 10 you you'll remember that I made a fairly big deal of, in verse 6 where it says therefore as you received Christ Jesus so in the same way that you did whatever else it was uh, going to do you are to do it in the same way well I believe that's bleeding all the way through verses 6 through 10 into verse 11 so let's let's have a little reminder therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him so remember we pulled out here that the sanctification and the ongoing progressive growth of the believer is just as important, just as solid, just as sure as the salvation, the justification of the, of the believer. And whereas justification is the sole work of God that, who breathes life into a dead person and brings them to life, so, too, it is the powerful working and Holy Spirit of God that ensures the progressive perseverance of the saints. Now, the only difference between sanctification and justification is justification is, is a, a sole work of God whereby he brings us to life in the Holy Spirit. And the sanctification is the working of God, which is uh, alongside the working of the newly regenerate man who now has the ability to overcome sin. He's got a new nature, he's got a new spirit. His spirit has been made alive, and he and God work hand in hand to grow and become conformed to the image of Christ. Does that make sense? So, as we move forward in this idea, he says, As you have received Christ, so also walk in him. Remember, we went to Galatians and we said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You who have begun by the Spirit, will you now be perfected in the works of the flesh? He said, it's silly to think that you've got to keep up with the Joneses now and do everything just right to maintain relationship with God. Now, to be sure, you are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that is not what secures and maintains a relationship with God. It is by the same Spirit that brought you life in the first place okay so works and right living flows out of interaction and filling with the holy spirit it doesn't cause uh, relationship and filling with the holy spirit does that make sense okay so your relationship with god, with god is not contingent upon your works but your works is the evidence of the relationship that you have with god well let's move on In verse 11, we find this same type of language that's tying the verse back to the previous verses when he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, there's a ton in that little section right there. But what I want to point out is that he's saying, in him also so it was in him that you received it was in him that you were made new it was in him that you walk it was this way that this has already been taken place that you are filled with uh, the spirit of, of christ look in verse 10 and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority we talked about how christ comes and fills us up that he brings with him his authority and his power and he writes it on our heart he welds it as it were he meshes it he consumes our dead spirit with life and he infuses us with life and it's the life of christ remember christ said i am the resurrection and the life christ is life he doesn't give life he is life and when christ comes in We now live in the life of Christ and we carry the authority that Christ has. That's why we can enter the throne room of grace with boldness. That's why we have power over rulers and dominions. This is why we take every thought captive. We've already talked about this. Well, in the same way that you have received Christ, in the same way that you have received him, you are also circumcised. Now, what type of circumcision? What is circumcision in the Old Testament? Well, just to give a brief Uh, description of what circumcision is in the old testament you can go read i've got tons of scripture here uh that that are here but you can also do a quick google search be careful who you read but you can even google verses that have to do with circumcision well to be fairly brief i will go back to look at with me at, at genesis chapter 17 genesis chapter 17 and you'll find the abrahamic covenant in genesis uh chapters 12 15 and 17 and in several other places but these are the primary texts but look with me real quick in genesis chapter 17 and i just want to touch on the abrahamic covenant and the command to be circumcised and to circumcise every male uh israelite that had been born uh let's see when they look uh genesis 17 verse 1 when abraham was 99 years old the lord appeared to abram and said to him i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless now that's the command that god had laid out before abraham but it goes on that i may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly now this is a this is a covenant made with Abraham that was conditional upon the obedience and the love and the faith that Abraham had in God and had placed in God. And we know, we'll touch on this a little bit later, but we know through the Old Testament and the New Testament that Abraham was not credited with righteousness or he was not made righteousness He wasn't made righteous by his keeping of the law or by his observing of the rituals such as circumcision or the feasts or whatever it might be, the sacrificial instances. He wasn't made righteous by those, but those were acts of obedience that was walking out because of the faith that he had in God. And it was the faith that was credited to him with righteousness, not his works. That's important to remember, but it's not what I'm talking about today, so let's move on. He says here, he says, uh, that I may make, he says, walk before me and be blameless so that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you, your name uh, shall be called Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from, uh, and she, King shall come from you. Now, Here, down in verse 9. Let's skip down to verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. What was the keeping of the covenant? To obey God and to walk in Him and to make sure that God was, was His king, to make sure that God was His God. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay? So the circumcision was commanded to Abraham in order to be a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Now what we need to to see is is that was the covenant with Abraham made before or after the command of circumcision? Before. Before. The, the covenant with Abraham was made before, actually go back to uh, chapter 12, we see him moving through the fire pots and so on and so forth. We know that the covenant with Abraham was made before circumcision, and the circumcision was a what? It was a sign. It was a sign that pointed to, what do signs do? They point you, they give you information, they, they describe things. It pointed to the covenant that God had, with, had made with Abraham. And this covenant consisted of this. The, I, I probably many of you are circumcising here, the men. Many of you may not be. Uh, it's kind of a weird topic to talk about, right? We, we don't like to think about these things. But we're talking about circumcision today, okay? So uh, many of you may be circumcised in here, maybe some of you aren't. That's not the point. The question is, what does circumcision mean? Why did God give this command that, that Abraham would be circumcised and that, those, that his children would be circumcised and every servant that was brought in and made part of the covenant people of Israel would be circumcised as well? Well, I, I read a couple of articles on this and there was tons of ways that this sign uh, was used and how it pointed, but uh, just a couple that I'll point out which may be the most obvious. One is that it was a continual reminder of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, you say, "Well, how is that?" Well, there's a couple of things. There's lots of things actually in life that you should do or that you could do that you don't do every day. Uh, certainly, there's things that the ways that you could remind yourself of how good God is, and ways that you could remind yourself of the promises that He's made to you, or all of these things, right? But we fail to do those. We could read the Word, we could fast, right? We could meditate on Scripture. Uh, we could just remember, right? Uh, but sometimes we fail to do that, and we don't, uh, we don't even think about God that day, right? But what's something, unless there's something wrong with you, what's something that you know that you are going to do, At least men in the room, m- women too, but you, you, know, you don't have the, uh, the pleasure of being circumcised. What's one thing that you know you're going to do at least once a day? You're going to pee-pee. And you see, every time the Israelite men would go to pee-pee, They would be reminded of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It's very similar to um, Jesus Christ, well, in in a way. Is is, is that okay? I said pee-pee, right? That Jesus said, when you eat the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we know we eat almost every day. It's a continual reminder. Well, not only that, that the men of Israel would have been reminded, and there's lots more there, that uh, the significance was brought out, and I never really thought about it this way, but I think it is has, has scriptural backing. The significance that the circumcision was only to males on the male reproductive organ, which meant that covenant with God should pass down through the male lineage. He should be the head of the home, and that he should be the spiritual leader of the home, and that he should bring his children in to obey God. something to think about but secondly it was a bloody reminder of uh what sin costs it was a bloody reminder see the child was to be circumcised on day eight and and the which is a whole nother thing see it just goes on and on and on the eighth day is the day of new beginnings and oh man it's just so much but anyway the the child is to be circumcised on the eighth day now none of you in here who was who was circumcised as children remember that That, I mean, praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) But there may be some in here who have been circumcised as a man. And in the scripture we know that Abraham was circumcised as a man. Along with all his male servants. How did that conversation go? Hey, bro, come here. I got some bad news. (laughs) I, I hate to inform you of this, but I've got a, you know, I mean, you gotta have some loyalty. I'm looking at Abraham going to say, what? You want to do what? Where? <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, <laughs> no pain. There ain't no Advil. There ain't no Lord. That ain't none of that. There ain't no more. There ain't no. Ain't no numbing agent. It's just, hey, man. So we know that the circumcision was a sign. But what what did it point to? It pointed to the covenant. Now, we could go on and on and on and on here. But what I want to do is I want to move a little quickly because I want to move from the circumcision of the flesh, which I think is pretty easy to understand. We could get deep. But the circumcision of the flesh was a sign given to the males in Israel of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And I think that sign is multifaceted in how it relates to and how it points but a couple is is that it reminded you daily of the covenant and another is is that it was a bloody painful sign that where there's sin where the flesh prevails that uh there must be blood and probably lastly and this is pretty important too that it was a actually a removal of the flesh That's literally what circumcision is. It is to cut the body in that place in such a way that that flesh would be taken away. Sound familiar? It is a removal of the flesh. Okay. So let's go on though in the text. It says. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now here's the distinction between the Old Covenant circumcision that was given to Abraham as a sign of the Old old Covenant to the New Testament circumcision that is the circumcision of the heart made without hands. But what I want to point out is this is not a brand new New Covenant idea. That is not brand new to the New Covenant. It is not... Uh, found only in the New Covenant. Look at me, and this is on your sheet, so you can just pull your sheet here. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, speaks of the circumcision of the heart. This was always to come. This was always to be how God would actually make uh, people a, a, a true Israel. There's a big you know, debate around what's true Israel, what's all this. I'll say it this way. In order to be the true people of God, in order to be a child of God, birthrights, blood rights, and bloodlines won't cut it. Physical keeping of the law, physical circumcision, physical this and fleshly this will not actually cause you to be a part of the people of God and the children of God. That even Old Covenant, Old Testament Israel would not gain entrance into the kingdom and acceptance as God's true people, true covenant elect people, unless they had a circumcision of the heart, unless they were born again by faith, by the blood of, yes, Jesus Christ. Now you say, Jesus wasn't even born then. That's why God says that Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness. Abraham looked forward. And his faith looked forward to the coming Messiah. As your faith looks back to the Messiah that has, been, that, has been, that has risen. Okay. And this is how this works. But let's move on. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That you may live. You see, God says you'll circumcise the flesh as a sign to the covenant, but the actual covenant will come as the heart is circumcised by faith, which will actually cause you to keep the covenant. Does that make sense? Let me show you another text right here. I don't know if I have it on the handout written all the way out, but I want to show you this one because it's really powerful. Okay, I'll just turn there. I think this is talking of the same thing, Ezekiel chapter, we looked at this verse several times, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, watch this. Okay, so the question often becomes, well, it's not important to keep the law. Well, it actually is. I think that there's a, a transition from the old covenant law and the way we understand it to the law of grace, the law of Christ. But, the law, but what you don't need to hear me saying is the law of God in the Old Testament is not important. It absolutely is. And it must be kept perfectly in order to have a relationship with God. We just do that through Christ. But, and we still, we still have connection with the law, but we can talk about that another day. But watch. The question is, how do we keep the law? Okay, Because the law... In perfect obedience, perfect obedience to the law is required for a relationship with God. If you can't keep the law perfectly, you can't have a relationship with God unless there's a way that you can keep the law vicariously through Christ who died on the cross. He was a perfect sacrifice because he was perfectly obedient to God in every way, and you are credited with his holiness. You are credited with his obedience, so then, therefore, you can come through Christ to God and have a relationship with him. But let's look and see how this works to us. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 says... And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Now, that's going to be really important here in just a minute. I want to get to that point, so I want to move a little quick. And a new spirit I will put within you. So the old spirit, something's wrong with it that you need a new spirit, the old heart, something's wrong with it. It's a heart of stone, the Bible says, that it needs something's wrong. It, it something needs to take place. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone. I would call that the circumcision, the removal of the flesh. And it's not reading in. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will cut away, I will take away your flesh. There will be a, a transition in you where flesh is removed. Sound familiar? I will remove, uh, and I will, uh, put myself, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Watch this. And I will put my spirit within you and calls you, you see that? And calls you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You see, the law must be kept, and it's only kept as the new heart, is. the old heart is taken away, that circumcision, that removal of flesh, that that removal of, of, of sin, sinful desires, sinful nature, sinful flesh, and a new spirit comes in, a new heart comes in, and this new heart, this new spirit imposes, empowers us and compels us and 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 causes us to walk in His ways and to obey His statutes. Does this sound familiar with what I preached last week? It's the Spirit of the living God that comes inside of us and empowers us and indwells us. And the Spirit of Christ then causes us to obey the law. Cause not obligatory, not in a forceful way, but that we would desire God so much that we would long to keep His laws. Whereas just a minute ago we longed to fulfill our fleshly desires believers can i get an amen that it was true that before christ before the spirit came in before regeneration before you were born again that you longed to sin and you dwelled and loved your sin didn't worry about it at all you didn't love god it was you you despised having to go to church and having to read reju- if you even if you even acknowledged it that you thought it was absurd. This is silly. But when God came in and when the Spirit grabbed hold and when the Spirit had dwelled you and He gave you life and He breathed into you, that then everything was different. Everything changed. No longer did you despise God and love sin. You despise sin and love God. Not to say that you were completely rid of the sinful nature, but you hated His guts. And now, believer, as you sit... And as you listen and as you go through life, we know that you struggle with sin, sin and temptation and the lust of the flesh. But is it true, believer? Is it true that now we despise that wicked old man who dwells in the background somewhere? We wish he would die already, right? We hate his guts. I mean, Am I speaking alone? He's always lurking in the background. We despise him. Well, through Christ, the old man is dead. The old man is dying. And any any time that we give ear to that man, it's like a doll returning to its vomit. It's already out. It's already done. You're released. Why would we go back? But nevertheless, we do. But God will cause us to persevere. Well. We see a little bit, now we're going to talk a lot more about the circumcision of the heart, so I won't spend much more time on it here, but we see that the circumcision of the heart is not a new concept in the New Testament. This is not a new concept. It is fulfilled in the New Testament. It becomes reality in the New Testament, but this is this is told by God throughout the Old Testament in several different places, and it was ne- circumcision of the flesh was never meant as a means by which we would become the people of God. It was only a sign that pointed to the fact that we, are children of god and that is if we keep the abrahamic covenant which was to bless the lord uh, and to keep his commandments to walk in him and to be about god's business well let's move on now and let's look uh, back at colossians uh, chapter 2 and let's go a little bit further, so we'll come, we'll circle back around to the circumcision uh, here in just a minute, we'll talk more about the way that Christ is our circumcision, but let's look at number one on your handout, true circumcision is a circumcision made without hands, I already touched on a good bit of this, we'll just recap, the circumcision of the heart is a reality that takes place in the same way as being filled with him who is the head, it is a circumcision that is not physical in nature, this is not a new idea, it's found in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 36 is where it is found, so number one, just a reminder, I want you to hold on to it, true Circumcision is a circumcision made without hands. Number two, true circumcision, true circumcision in the believer is by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, tons and tons and tons of materials here uh, that I could talk to you about, but it, it would be too long. But let's read the text and we want to pull a few things out. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. How? In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay, how's that work? Here's how: by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, something that uh, just because I've weird and asked these questions, I, I wonder how you guys read this. I want to show you right here. Okay, so so the circumcision is made without hands, so it's it's not a physical one, but a what? spiritual one okay it's a spiritual circumcision in which something happens in a spiritual realm to us spiritually but in reality i didn't realize that so many people thought that the spiritual realm was not a realistic realm but only a anticipatory type of language meaning that that it's not actually taking place right now it's just a promise that one day you'll have life but i don't think that that's i think that's silly okay so i think that this is a reality that's happening now. So the circumcision that you've received, uh, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And it, this is past tense. This is an heiress verb, meaning that this has been done in the past. Okay. This has already happened. You were circumcised. Okay. How? By Putting off the body of flesh, the removal of the body of flesh now we know that it isn't a physical one, but this is a spiritual reality as well. by the flesh uh, Paul often uses this word in, in his writings to mean the sinful desires of the flesh, this this longing to sin, this captiveness to sins, being a slave to sin you've been this has been put off of you, this has been removed from you. well how does that happen by the circumcision of christ now when i read that i said okay when it says of christ is it meaning the circumcision that christ went through or is it meaning the circumcision of christ that happens to us you see how that can mean both things you guys tracking with that you following so it could mean by the circumcision of Christ, meaning the circumcision that Christ gives to us, the circumcision of Christ that happens to us. Or it could mean by the circumcision of Christ, which means his circumcision. Does that make sense to you? I start asking these questions. Why? And the commentators, they pull that out too. They say, this could be either way. This language, is. it could be either way. It could be the circumcision that happened to Christ, and we know that Christ was, was circumcised on the eighth day. He had to be. He had to perfectly fulfill the law in every single way, or he could not have been a perfect sacrifice for us and have the law of God fulfilled in us on his uh, behalf or through his indwelling spirit. So we know he was circumcised in his flesh on the eighth day, and he perfectly kept the law of God. He is the only Israelite that has Uh, that has kept the covenant that God made with Abraham and he is the one that would solidify the Abrahamic covenant and make the people children of God thereby uh, fulfilling the promise to Abraham but what I want to ask here is, what does this mean by the circumcision of Christ? I think it can mean either. So you're not going to be in interpretive trouble if you go either way on that. I believe that we are, the flesh is removed from us as we are circumcisioned in Christ. The circumcision of Christ in Christ cuts away the flesh from our bodies. But I do believe that it is also his circumcision. Now, as I started to pull this out and the Lord was just speaking to me and I was looking at different materials and different uh, teachers, this was, really ble- was a, a really true blessing to me. So I want to back up for just a second. I want to read this text. And I want to show you something that is found in this text. And if I'm reading it into it, come and talk to me. Point it out. I don't mind. I'm telling you, I believe this is in the text, and it's beautiful. Watch this. So let's go back up. Let's start at verse uh, 11, and we're just going to read through 14. And I want to point something out. Verse 11. <coughs> In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him uh, through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive together together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands he this he set aside nailing it to the cross what we see here is the final um, redemptive work of christ uh, being laid out in this form jesus christ in his crucifixion in his burial and in his resurrection. You see that there in this text that his crucifixion, his burial and his resurrection is seen here, the trifecta, okay? This is the means by which any of us come into relationship with God, okay? What I want to point out is is that this trifecta, this three-point teaching here is teaching us about circumcision, baptism, and resurrection or justification. Okay, being made alive, regeneration. So, in Jesus Christ, crucifixion on the cross was his grand circumcision. It was the removing of flesh. His, he, it was the bleeding, remember how we talked about it, the, 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 old tef- the old covenant circumcision was a sign because of the blood that was shed because of the sin, okay, that was always a reminder that way, they understood that, Jesus Christ's flesh was broken and torn and ripped and bled so that sin could be paid for because sin is costly he was baptized and the word baptism means to be immersed he was baptized when he was buried and he was buried in, in in a grave in an unknown tomb he was buried he was below he was down and he was put aside and we were buried with him that we were baptized in him meaning that we have died we have been we have been gone uh, we have been placed into the grave And then upon his resurrection, the text over and over, with him, with him, with him, with him, you have been circumcised with him. You have been buried with him. You have been raised with him. Circumcision, baptism, and resurrection. This is what happened to Christ. In order to complete the Abrahamic covenant, it was the circumcision in the Old Testament that pointed forward to the circumcision of Christ. Christ, flesh being removed, beaten, and battered. On the cross in order for our flesh to be removed. For our flesh to be destroyed. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. And, and, and watch this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. So as Christ resurrects, as Christ comes to life we come to life and this is not a promise of a future all of those verbs right there you see I've, I've laid that out right here all of those verbs right there you see are aorist tense meaning that they're past tense it's already been done you've been raised you've been circumcised you've uh, been made alive uh, you have uh, um stood against the legal... all these things are, are are past tense they've already been done you've actually been made alive today in christ it's not a future promise it's a reality today by the person and work of jesus christ and the indwelling of the holy spirit this is another reason this is just a side note this is another reason why i believe that full immersion baptism is the best way to walk out um to walk out the sign of the covenant baptism is the sign of the new covenant whereas circumcision was the sign of the old covenant now Pado-Baptists see that as a one-to-one correlation, meaning that, so in the Old Testament, every single baby was supposed to be circumcised, and this was the sign of the covenant in the flesh, okay? That's why Pado-Baptists baptize their babies. They sprinkle their babies. They used to dunk their babies until a couple died, and then they changed that practice. That's a true story. So now they sprinkle their babies and because they say just like the Abrahamic covenant the babies were to be circumcised as a sign that they were in the covenant people, right? So babies in the New Testament should be sprinkled as a sign that they're in in part of the covenant people. Now why do we not do that? Because we we don't see the correlation of circumcision of the flesh and baptism as one-to-one. We do believe that circumcision of the flesh was a sign of the Old Testament covenant and baptism a sign of the New Testament covenant. But what, what the problem is, is that, and I don't have time to really get into this, but just to touch on it, we can talk about it later, is that the, sign, the circumcision of the Old Covenant was a fleshly sign of becoming a part of the covenant community where you would learn about God and actually become part of the covenant people. Does that make sense? Whereas baptism is a sign of actually becoming part of the covenant people of God by being born again. And here's, and here's another evidence. I could go a lot further on that, but here's another evidence. That the, why we fully immerse baptism. Okay, that's another question. Because some people believe, so we, we believe in what's called a believer's back, baptism. That when you actually believe and you're born again, that you're then baptized because baptism is a sign of faith. Okay, not of just being a part of an external physical covenant community. Okay. In which they, you know, there's some good arguments to be made. But anyway, I digress. Let's, let's look at this. So look at, look at full immersion baptism, though. And I try to say this as I baptize, but sometimes when you baptize 15, 16, it gets tough. But you say, this is what I say. I say, as I baptize, you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been crucified with him, buried with Christ, and raised in the newness of life. Full immersion baptism is a symbol by which when we go under the water, it's it's as if we are being buried in a watery tomb. We are being buried with Christ. What does the text say? Having been buried with Him in baptism. It's not the physical baptism that does anything, but the the physical baptism is a symbol of a spiritual reality that you have been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, that you have been buried with Him. But then it says that uh, in which... uh, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised. You see the beautiful picture of baptism here. Buried with Christ. Raised in the newness of life. Beautiful, isn't it? So beautiful. And that's why baptism is such a wonderful picture in the sign of the new covenant. Well, let's move on. I don't even know where I am in these notes. I will I will touch on this briefly. Um, look right here. There was a question about um, Jesus' perfect uh, perfect obedience to the law. There was a question last week. I'm not sure if, if Austin's here today or not, but had a good question, had some good points. Was Je- did Jesus perfectly obey the law? Did Jesus perfectly fulfill the law? Every jot, every tittle, every single law, did he perfectly obey it? There were some questions and say, well, no, he, he kind of changed the law, or there's different positions on that. Just so you know, the official position that, that I have is that, Not only did Jesus Christ perfectly keep the law in every jot, every tittle, in every way, but it was necessary for Him to do so in order... To provide the means by which we would be saved and justified. Because the Abrahamic covenant and the covenants, God and his people, the the condition for relationship with God was perfect obedience to God and his law, which obviously we can't fulfill. But God had promised Abraham that you will have this everlasting covenant and your seed would be the one to fulfill the covenant and bring it to its reality. And we know through Galatians and several other passages that Jesus Christ is the seed and it even goes so far as to say that he does not say seeds plural but that jesus christ is the seed of abraham through which salvation would come to a multitude of people the elect of god and that those would become true children of abraham children of the promise even old testament israel had to be born again through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ to become true born-again people of God, the children of Abraham. Remember, you say, what are you talking about? It's not descendants of Abraham by bloodline that are children of Abraham. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees who were actually descended from Abraham. He looked at them and he said, you think you're children of Abraham? These rocks could be made children of Abraham. He said, you don't believe in the one whom God sent. You don't believe in me. You're not the children of Abraham. It is those who are by faith children of Abraham. He they actually went on to tell them that their father was actually the devil. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story for another day. That Jesus Christ, here's a quote by John Owen. I, I'll go ahead and read it because I think it's, it's written really well. But John Owen says, according, you know, uh, talking about the obedience of Christ, By the obedience of the life of Christ, you see what is intended, his willing submission unto and perfect, complete fulfilling of every law of God that any of the saints of God were obliged unto. It is true, every act almost of Christ's obedience, from the blood of his circumcision to the blood of his cross, was attended with suffering so that his whole life might in that regard be called a death. But yet, looking upon his willingness and obedience in it, it is distinguished from his sufferings, peculiarly so-called, and termed his active righteousness. This is, then, I say, as was show, showed that complete, absolutely perfect accomplishment of the whole law of God by Christ, our mediator, whereby he not only did no sin, neither was there guilt uh, found in his mouth but also most perfectly fulfilled uh, all righteousness as he affirmed it became him to do He he writes weird secondly that this obedience was performed by christ not for himself but for us and in our stead the point is is that christ perfectly lived out the law in order that we might fulfill the law in our person now so much more I could, I could say there, but let's move on. Okay, we're going to look at uh, verse 13, the last part of it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Well, we see here that it says that you who were dead in your trespasses and uh, the uncircumcision of your flesh. Is it true that those who are apart from Christ and who have not received the circumcision of the heart, have not received new life in Christ, have not had the law perfectly fulfilled for them? And I will, just as a side note here, too, you might want to consider that, see, when Paul said this, he got some kickback. When Paul said that Christ perfectly fulfills the law for you, well, then those who were of the religious sect at the time said you can't do that because if you say that they are no longer obligated to keep the law then they're going to do whatever they want to do if you say paul that that christ kept the law for them in their place then they're going to say well i don't have to keep the law then i don't have to do these things because christ already done i'll just sin then and you remember the question so shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound may it never be So I want to point out, and this is just in passing, Romans chapter 8, I believe it's in verse 7, we can look later. I know it's the first part of Romans chapter 8. It says that, uh, that Jesus, so what the law could not do, not because it was bad, but because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So it is true that the law of God has been fulfilled for us by Christ and the circumcision of his flesh, the baptism, his burial, and his resurrection. It's been fulfilled for us, but it also, you don't need to miss, is fulfilled in us. Those are two different things. The law has been fulfilled for us on our behalf because we couldn't do it. But it also is fulfilled in us as Christ dwells in us and causes us. Remember Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, causes us to walk according to his statutes and to keep his law. So that the law of God now is is kept for us and in us it makes its reality in us and you become a doer of the law of God whatever that means that's another question the law of Christ what's the distinction between the law of Moses and so on and so forth different opinions on that but either way that you become obedient to God that you do keep the law you do keep the law and you do walk in God's ways well he says, "And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh." Uh, really quickly, um, jump over here with me to. Let me see if I got it on here. Da, 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 da. I don't have it, but but First Timothy. If you want to turn there with me, right quick. I just want to show you this reality. I didn't realize there was a big of a question of. The deadness of those outside of Christ. Just like some suggest that those who are made alive in Christ are only made so in an anticipatory way. Meaning that you're not actually made alive right now. It's just that you're guaranteed to be made alive one day. I don't know if you thought. Is it on there? Okay, there it is on the back page right there. First Timothy five, six, speaking of the widows and, and those asking for help and those living according to their own uh, ways or self indulgent, whatever, and those who are living godly, it says of the one who is self indulgent, listen what it says. She who is self indulgent is dead. Okay? That is a present tense, she's dead. She is dead. It is a present reality. Ephesians two, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Galatians chapter, I mean Colossians chapter two, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. First Timothy five six says, "She who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives." <laughs> so there is a sense in which that we are, we have ex- outside of Christ, unbelievers, the wicked, the unregenerate. They have some type of life. They have some type of existence, right? They're animated. They're conscious. They can talk. They're aware of what's going on. But they're dead, right? They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're cut off from the land of the living. They're cut off from Christ. They're cut off from God. What they were intended for has been ruined. There is no hope for them outside of Christ. They have been undone. They have have no hope outside of Christ. Life will never happen for them. And life is defined as union and fellowship with God. An awakening that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would be moved from death in which we formerly lived. (laughs) And we would be transferred from the domain of darkness. We would be taken from death into life. And so as you actually do live in Christ... You actually are dead outside of Christ, even, as the text says, while you live. Those of you who are walking around and you find no pleasure, no fulfillment, no identity in Christ, you find no... Uh, hope in this world and you're wondering why i'm telling you it's that you were created with an everlasting soul that will go on that you were created to enjoy god and love him and that's where life is and the reason that you feel as though dead is because you are because life happens not outside of christ and though you may be living in some way existence awareness consciousness you are not truly living in Christ. That only comes through accepting Him through faith, and you are raised in life. Well, uh, I'm, I'm about out of time, and I, and I think we've covered a lot here today, but I do want to give you an illustration of this, and I've been trying to wrap my mind around, and I have been doing actually a lot of study on this because we're entering into this uh, debate coming up in March on hell, and this topic goes so much deeper than I ever did realize it. But part of the question in that debate is, uh do we have a soul do we have uh, a spirit or is it just this life and i want to answer that question uh, as i've been studying the best that i can i think that the text here and there's many 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 more supporting texts that the soul goes on uh, in existence after the body you know to be absent from the body is to be with the lord and so on and so forth that we know right now there are those who are in Hades who have already died who are still consciously aware of the torment that's going right on right now in the intermediate state even though that's distinct from the final prop, you know, hell proper but we do know that the soul lives on outside of the body Okay, so here's what I want to show from this text right here that actually and I want to pull, I want to switch this right here I hope it works let's see if it does hey hey okay so here's what I want to do. Now, I don't, I've tried to do this. I'm not an artist, but I think that this will help us, okay? So we are created with a physical body of flesh. Our body is corrupted. It's it's dying. It's it's dead. It's corruptible because we were born in Adam, okay? We were born with a sin nature, and we were born uh, with our souls being corrupted, our souls being... Another word for soul is the inner man, and the idea of the soul is it's the person, it's the the the. the character, the personality, the emotions. That's that's how the Bible speaks of the soul, the inner man. It's who you are, right? Think of it that way. You have a body, the soul is who you are, and then you also have a spirit. And the spirit and the soul is a little bit hard to distinguish, but what we do know from scripture is that the spirit is where life either ceases or life exists, okay? So if you are spiritually connected to God, if the Holy Spirit has given you new life, then you are connected through the spirit, God is spirit, we worship him in spirit and truth, that we are connected to God through our spirit, right? Adam was connected to God through his spirit, but that connection, that spirit was severed, okay? It was killed because of what? Disobedience. The breaking of God's commands, the, the the disobedience of God's word, severed the spiritual connection that we have with God, and that's that sin nature, the corrupted soul, because of the broken spirit, which the broken spirit corrupted our soul and our flesh, has come through the seed of Adam to all of those who existed after him we know that through Corinthians that through one man's sin the whole world was corrupted that through one man the second Adam Jesus Christ that those who believe that the, that the whole world would be redeemed right those who believe we can break that down later but the, here's here's the bottom line okay now I'm going to try to do this I don't know uh, okay so I'm going to draw the, the flesh the body of the flesh in green you know it's earth it's fleshly okay now don't laugh at me all right I'm gonna do the best I can Oh, let's. what is that about it might look like a gingerbread man I've tried this a couple of different times a couple of different ways but I'm doing it this way for a reason so leave me alone is that a gingerbread man yes that's the body of the flesh the earthly body Okay, the earthly body you got that what's wrong with y'all okay so Apart from the earthly body, we're made up of uh, two distinct uh, characteristics. We have the uh, immaterial soul. Uh, we have the immaterial soul. We have the immaterial spirit. So we're kind of this trinity. we three in one. We're body, soul, and spirit. Okay, And this this is the body of the flesh, the earthly body. And inside of us, the inner man, Paul refers to it as, is the soul okay so we'll call this the soul of the man or the woman whatever this is the soul okay this is who you are it's your it's the your heart seat you know your emotions your desires your intellect your um, you know, your reasoning, all these things. This is your inner man, right? Well, uh, even apart from that, now I, I, I started to, and I've looked at uh, how some other people did this, and I started to do it uh, like that and, and draw like a spirit that would surround the whole thing. And I think that that would be accurate. I think the spirit is, is just part of who you are too. But for the purposes of what I'm doing here, the spirit is actually the tether that connects us to life and when it's severed it is only connected to death it's just dead it has no life in it the spirit in some ways forgive me for the analogy but it's like the the drop cord the 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 um power cord for a refrigerator or for a tv it is the tether that connects you to the power it is the tether that connects you to the energy the life okay so here's how i want to draw it what color do i want to use i don't have enough colors i need one more color i'm going to do it in i guess i'm gonna do it in red okay so i don't really have a ton of time but the spirit is tethering you to god okay your inner soul but it also tethers the body now when sin came in okay this is adam when sin it's like you know through which the power the blood is through life flowing okay when adam sinned his sin severed severed the connection and the and the tethering this this conduit through which life came it severed the spirit because god in god god is light in him there is no darkness at all god cannot fellowship with sin god cannot fellowship with darkness so we were cut off from god by sin by adam's sin sin nature and by our own sin we've been cut off from god which severed life to the soul life to our spirit and life to our body it was condemnation unto death When that life was severed. Now we know that through Christ though that we gain our life back and the tether is replaced. And the sin is broken and life comes back to the body. Through the shed blood of our Savior. Jesus Christ, who is called the mediator, bridges the gap between man and God that they might receive power through him. And energy, energy, the power of God is how it's described oftentimes, spiritual power. Paul prays in Ephesians, he says, strengthen them with power in their inner man through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is awakening us. Now, you might say, well, what about that part there with the body? Well, it's been guaranteed and promised to us that this body, when it's dead and when we go into the grave, that upon the resurrection, we will receive a brand new spiritual body. If he, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the body has, nev- to my knowledge, the body's not said to be made alive. But the body is anticipatory. The body is awaiting and longing the newness and the life that comes through Christ. And so we don't think badly of the spirit or the soul or the body. We know that both are created by God and both are meant to be... Uh, in, uh, l- Living forever and ever and ever in glory with God, but that only happens through the powerful working of the God man Jesus Christ, who was circumcised, buried, baptized, and raised for you. And with him, we are also circumcised, buried, and raised. And we are connected back to God through the power of the cross to God and our souls get life now we actually are made alive now because our spirits are reconnected our spirits are made alive and our body will upon resurrection have life and spiritual life as well for the ungodly for the dead their body will continue on in decay in uselessness in ruin their soul will continue on in utter death and utter uh, lifelessness separated from god uh, for all of uh, uh, eternity, everlasting and everlasting and everlasting. There is no life, there is no, there is no hope for them to get out of this bondage. They live, uh, they exist, rather, in a state of perpetual awareness of the hopeless state of not being able to be in the presence of God. Well, as we stand to our feet and as we close this thing out, I want to close it pointing to this turn over on the back of your handout number 3 forget life comes through the forgiveness of all our trespasses you see a lot of people thinks and, and believes that god should just forgive sin but forgiveness is not cheap the text says god made alive god made us alive together with him having forgiven us all our sins by canceling the record of debt that is the lawlessness And the demands of the legal law against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's all stand to our feet as we worship this last song and lift our voices to God. Remember, he nailed your debt to the cross in order that you may be forgiven and made alive. Christ was nailed to the cross to pay your sin debt, his flesh was destroyed. And you have been washed in His blood, the blood of His circumcision. Christ was buried in the tomb. He was forsaken, baptized in death for three days. And you have been buried with Him. Christ was raised on the third day. He was raised conquering death, hell, sin, and Satan. And you are raised in the newness of life with Him. Celebrate that today.